0: You're listening to The Invisible World, with your host, Frank Todaro. Yes, hello, and welcome to episode 178 of The Invisible World. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. Now, this is a sort of a soft reboot of the show. As you've noticed, we took a bit of a hiatus, being more sporadic over the past few months. But now we are here, and on our regular schedule, once every other week. Now, one reason was the the many projects that I've been working on, many of which you will hear about soon, but one in particular I want to share with you here at the top of the show. It is yet another podcast I'm doing. September does see the return of Spectral Retrospective and UFO History Lesson. I know we've got a a lot of emails from you guys about Spectral. Terry Koenig and I are going to bring it back this fall over at the Paranormal A Radio Network. But I want to talk about this new project that I'm very excited about, Spirits and Spirits, because I love puns. And if you also like puns, well, there's a lot of them here, uh, you can guess approximately what the show is about. Myself and author, herbologist, and whiskey enthusiast Jack Newkens, have been touring distilleries around the world, which we will then discuss with you on the show. She's got a whole lot of experience in that arena, literally writing the book on the subject. And on the other half of the show, we look into the history of the areas, the distilleries, along with spooky tales and folklore surrounding them. It's been an absolute blast to produce thus far, as you can imagine. Traveling to new places, and everyone has a story to tell, if you just ask them. The first episode dropped last week, so if you have 45 minutes, check it out. Link is in the show notes. Also, this fall, I will be giving another lecture here in New York City with the 19th Century Society about Victorian-era hauntings and UFO sightings. Should be pretty fun. Not sure on the dates yet, but once we get those, I'll throw those up on the show page, post them, send them by smoke signal and whatnot. It'll be nice to meet you guys. Now that said, while we've been on break, the world of the weird seems to have been spinning even faster than usual. Without further ado, it is time for the Paranormal News. Now first off, Not necessarily news of the weird, but more like news of the awesome. A new book alleges to be able to put children to sleep within minutes based on this intense psychological property of it. Written by Swedish behavioral psychologist and linguist Carl Johan Forsen Erlen, the book, which is called The Rabbit Who Wants to Fall Asleep, it kind of makes its own gravy there, It's managed to hit the top spot on Amazon and the first self-published work on the site to ever do so. The book uses psychological and positive reinforcement techniques to help relax a child and quickly send them off to sleep. It basically sounds like a hypnosis primer. Parents reading it to their children are prompted to yawn at certain points and recite certain words and passages in a calm voice as if in a script. Now the author says, I had written books before about leadership and personal development using these techniques. But I got the idea for a children's book while I was driving on a long journey with my mother and she fell asleep. I got the idea of how I could use my methods to help children relax. It sounds like this guy is just really boring on road trips and decided to bottle that and sell it to people. So, good on you, man. Now, when uh, the quote goes on, When we stopped, I wrote it all down on a napkin, but I took another three and a half years to come up with the perfect story... I guess about a rabbit who wants to fall asleep. That makes sense. So the techniques were used in the correct order. So there's an order to this. Like I said, similar to hypnosis. The book so far received rave reviews with parents, of course, claiming that it has revolutionized bedtimes. Author says, I am amazed at how successful it has been. My inbox is full of parents who say it has really helped their children to relax and fall asleep. And I'm sure those parents are also thinking them for the whole being able to fall asleep themselves. I know a lot of you guys already uh, expressed interest about that when I shared it on Facebook. So, uh, yeah, head to Amazon, I guess. And while we're talking about great literature, the Belfast Telegraph reported that a new book about filtering contaminated water, well, get this, being able to filter contaminated water itself is now making the rounds. The Drinkable Book contains pull-out pages that are laced with bacteria-killing silver and copper nanoparticles, which can make even the most highly contaminated water sources drinkable. Designed by Dr. Teresa Dankovich from the Carnegie Mellon University in the U.S., users of this book can take the pages out, fit them into a special holding device, and then simply pour the dirty water through it to produce liquid that's fit for human consumption. These are pages of a book that you can tear out. Said Dr. Dankovich, One day, while we were filtering lightly contaminated water from an irrigation canal, nearby workers directed us to a ditch next to an elementary school where raw sewage had been dumped. We found millions of bacteria. It was a challenging sample. But even with the highly contaminated water sources like that one, we can achieve 99.9% purity with our nanoparticle paper, bringing bacteria levels comparable to those of U.S. drinking water. Each page of the book can clean 26 gallons of water, and a whole book can last for four years. This is amazing. Dr. Denkovich is now working on using the same technology to build commercial water filters. Now, they should print the Dune series on this. It'd be kind of cool, right? Now, moving away from uh, some of the typical news articles here, uh, I've got kind of a Hollywood news, I guess. A news story of my own. I was walking between appointments earlier this week, Sunday the 16th, to be precise, when I happened to cross a few streets blocked off in the West Village here in New York City. Now, normally, none of us even bother going out of our way to read the signs posted unless we're parking. They're supposed to be indicating what films are being shot in that area, why they're being blocked off. And they're usually written in code names, kind of like Blue Harvest or, or some, things of the like. But I had this odd moment thinking to myself, Well, there's this Doctor Strange movie on the horizon, and supposedly he lives in the village, in the comic books at least, in a brownstone, very similar to what they were filming in front of. Maybe they're keeping that in the same location. So I walk over to one of the signs, which read, Imperial Woodpecker, and then in parentheses, very likely by mistake by some PA, Twin Peaks. My jaw drops. Now I know if you're listening now, Chances are pretty good that you have both box sets of The X-Files and Twin Peaks somewhere in your living room about 10 feet from where you're sitting. So why, I wondered, would Twin Peaks be shooting in the village? I asked a PA if it was actually the show, to which he replied, no, that's the name of the production company, it's a clothing commercial. Seriously. I did the double-blind test there and asked another PA in a next block, not in sight of the other dude, taking a break. Making sure to find, you know, find a guy who was playing on his phone. Not too busy, but too distracted to be witty. So I got what I was looking for. After a dumbfounded look, he responds, No, it's a mayonnaise commercial made to look like Twin Peaks. Clearly, he didn't realize that I was asking because of the mistake in the signage, and was probably never, never, never seen the show himself. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. So I basically had my confirmation. But I wanted to be sure. I caught one straggler who was apparently done for the day and walking away. Rolled my charisma and got him to admit that it was, in fact, Twin Peaks filming in the village. In a true haggard moment, he muttered to himself, I'm not supposed to talk about that, and hurried away. So poking a bit online for uh, information on this, I couldn't find anything about Twin Peaks filming in the area. So there you go. I mean, let alone, uh, geez, three city blocks being taken up. Actually, the only information I found was that they are not going to shoot until September, so there you have it, a scoop here on the Invisible World, witnessed firsthand Twin Peaks filming in New York City. Perhaps the Black Lodge is just Manhattan. And explains a lot, actually. Next up, eagle-eyed anomaly hunters have spotted something that looks like a human figure on the surface of Mars. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, you guys uh, probably have seen this online. There was pictures of what looked like a giant crab hanging out in a crevice of Mars. Uh, I was making the rounds, another case of uh, pareidolia, probably. But just as interesting the crab started to die down, this other anomalous object began making headlines. This time, a humanoid figure that does look uncannily like a human woman. It does. I looked at the picture, there's no real stretch of the imagination. It looks like a woman with long hair walking towards you. Uh, However, (laughs) what's not attached to the picture is a reference to scale. If it was, in fact, some bipedal creature and not a play of the shadows, it would only be 10 centimeters tall. Now, not that tiny Martian ladies would be any less weird, but this, alas, seems to be just another giant crab or face in the clouds. Given the sheer number of high-res images being returned from Curiosity, on uh, on the regular now, it's likely this isn't going to be last time something shows up, but pretty cool. Put the link up on the page. Fun to look at. Now this next one's pretty fun. Uh, it's not the normal UFO sighting, so I didn't put it down at the UFO roundup, which we will have tonight. It's more like a partially identified flying object. P F O. A mysterious plane, similar to a World War II bomber, has been spotted flying over Derbyshire by several witnesses. According to the Derby Telegraph, a number of people have been in contact to report a large prop plane looking very similar to a Lancaster bomber flying extremely low and completely silent. Witness Richard Jeffson, the first to report the sighting, says that he was left speechless by the incident. He said the plane was so low that you could touch it but it was completely silent. It was flying so low it looked like it was about to crash. He said that he and his wife actually braced themselves, but nothing happened. And he wasn't the only one to see this thing. There were several other witnesses. Kind of weird. Now, next up, archaeologists have discovered what could be the Italian Stonehenge, deep under the sea. It was found at a depth of 131 feet in an area that was once an island in the Sicilian Channel. The unknown stone structure broke into two parts and is thought to date back at least 10,000 years. It was built by people who once inhabited the region before floods radically altered the entire Mediterranean basin. You guys know that whole story. About 9,500 years ago, following the uh, last glacial maximum. Actually, Look that up, you see what I mean about the area. There was an island there, that's where that was. Uh, Emmanuel Lodolo is an archaeologist quoted here in this particular article saying the discovery reveals the technological innovation and development achieved by Mesolithic inhabitants in the Sicilian Channel region such an effort undoubtedly reveals important technical skills and great engineering. It isn't clear exactly why the monolith was built, whether it belonged to a larger structure however, researchers believe that it had a uh, practical rather than spiritual significance. Some archaeologists actually suggested it was a lighthouse of sorts, which is a pretty cool idea when you think about some sort of Mesolithic man building a, a lighthouse, or a woman, it could be uh, female stoneworkers, who knows. However, when the giant ancient monoliths appear in the world, you kind of can't help but take notice. A little 2001-ish there. Now, speaking of enormous aquatic discoveries, that was a good segue, scientists in China have discovered what appears to be a vast ocean beneath the arid Tarim Basin, from the New sciences, Tarim Basin in northwestern Xinjiang, is a region which is generally regarded as uh, some of the driest places on Earth. But now it appears to be oh, over an entire ocean, beneath its deceptively desolate surface. The scientists behind this discovery say that this hidden subterranean ocean, per se, could contain ten times more water than all of the Great Lakes in the U.S., put together. It's intense to think about. Professor Li Yang, who led the study, says that it is a terrifying amount of water. Never before have people dared to imagine so much water under the sand. Our definition of a desert may have to change. Now, the water is thought to have accumulated below the desert thanks to meltwater running down from nearby mountains. And while researchers long suspected that they would find at least some water beneath the sand it hasn't been clear until now just how much there actually was and boy was there a lot the hunt is now on to determine if similar oceans could exist underneath other deserts as well all right so moving from weird news to news of the weird here's a line there somewhere we've had some pretty strange tales involving evidence of reincarnation usually with children remembering details of their former lives One tale of a child with vivid memories of being in World War II, another child remembering being his own relative. But none as strange as this one. This was posted in the Epoch Times. A young boy in Thailand can allegedly recall specific details of his previous life as a snake. Let that sink in. It's apparently a a case of animal reincarnation. young Thai boy named Dalawang He was three years old when he met an acquaintance of his father, Mr. Hugh, for the first time. Despite having never met this man before, Dallawong was able to describe in explicit detail a confrontation between Mr. Hugh, who was a hunter, and a snake that he killed in a cave. The three-year-old provided an accurate account of how the snake had been cornered by Hugh's two dogs before being killed and cooked for food. He even described how his father had eaten a piece of the snake a fact that both men were later able to verify. Now, I'm going to stop there for time's sake here, because, I mean, there's not much more to a boy, remember being a snake. But it does raise a couple interesting questions, the least of which is that uh, if this is true, then snakes are indeed a lot more perceptive than we thought. I'm sure pet owners can pick their snake out from, say, a lineup of similar snakes, but, man, this snake sure remembers not only its killer, but was somehow aware of who was eating it long after its demise just food for thought not snake though next we have a sort of follow-up to a story from a while back about NASA's experimental EM drive or M drive this was making the rounds last week a German scientist has confirmed that NASA's inexplicable new propulsion system actually does work despite being branded as impossible by most scientists NASA's electromagnetic propulsion engine has been attracting a lot of interest in recent months as a possible successor to the chemical engines traditionally used in deep space probes and other spacecraft. Now German scientist Martin Tajmar, an expert in debunking questionable propulsion methods, claims that he has tested the device himself and found that it actually does work. Tajmar says our measurements reveal thrusts as expected from previous claims after carefully studying thermal and electromagnetic inferences. If true, this could certainly revolutionize space travel. Now, the M drive allegedly works by converting electrical power into thrust without the need for any kind of propellant through the process that scientists argue is in direct violation of the laws of physics. Now, the article had this quote from uh, physicist Sean Carroll when asked for his insight. Uh says, my insight is that the M drive is complete crap and a waste of time. I'm going to spend my time thinking about ideas that don't violate con- uh, conservation of momentum. Uh, So yeah, widespread skepticism over uh, this thing But the M-Drive appears to be here to stay And if it does what it claims It could lead to a whole new chapter In our exploration of our solar system And who knows what else Recent media coverage on this topic Has speculated that electromagnetic propulsion May be possible to reach the moon In about four hours uh, To to put that in perspective and, uh, And Pluto in just 18 months So, (laughs) yeah, I hope this is actually true. Now, while on the subject of NASA, Edgar Mitchell, if you haven't heard that name, go Google it. He was in the headlines in the past week. Uh, He's the sixth man to walk on the moon back in 71. He stated his belief that visitors from space may have prevented Armageddon. As sensational as a headline as that seems, the 84-year-old maintains that our planet has been visited by intelligent extraterrestrials for years, and that they may have even intervened in our affairs in an, attempt to pre- in an attempt to prevent nuclear apocalypse. Mitchell's views are based on many of the experiences communicated to him by military personnel who claim, among other things, to have witnessed UFOs over missile bases during the Cold War. In Mitchell's own words, UFOs were frequently seen overhead and often disabled their missiles. They wanted to know about our military capabilities. My own experience talking to people has made it clear that the ETs have been attempting to keep us from going to war and help create peace on Earth. End quote. Now keep in mind this is not the first time Mitchell is saying this sort of thing. If you haven't heard his claims before, do a little bit of investigation like I was saying earlier. Uh, Judge for yourself, as with all things. Now, during an interview in 2008, he maintained that mankind had been in contact with aliens many times and that this had been covered up by our world governments for over 60 years. He went on to say at that point, I happen to have been privileged enough to be in on the fact that we've been visited on this planet and the UFO phenomenon is real. Uh, Naturally, a NASA spokesman at the time was... Keen to distance the agency, or the way the article puts it, Keen to distance the agency from Mitchell's remarks, stating, NASA is not involved in any sort of cover-up about alien life on this planet or anywhere in the universe. Dr. Mitchell is a great American, but we do not share his opinions on this issue. So there's that. I'm not going to commit either way, as I have the utmost respect on a personal level for folks in both camps. So take it in read about more of this online and judge for yourself but i can think of no better segue for tonight's ufo roundup i missed that all right so the u.s department of homeland security has recorded a four-minute video of a mysterious object yep this is homeland security the footage ...was investigated and released online by a group known as Scientific Coalition for Ufology... ...Ufology? Ufology? I can never say that right. ...shows the weird object moving fast over the fields, over roads, and open water. The incident is believed to have occurred on the morning of April 25th, 2013... ...at the Rafael Hernandez Airport in Puerto Rico. The thermal camera footage was recorded by the crew of the DHC-8 turboprop aircraft from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The group responsible for releasing the footage claims to have spent two years investigating it with the cooperation of several prominent scientists before finally making it available to the public. And again, this is posted to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash theinvisibleworldshow and links to those places as well. Uh, who knows what it is? Could be some new drone, whatever. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on it. Now next, I've got a MUFON report here. Kind of from our backyard. Happened on uh, August 4th in Ronkonkama out in Long Island. I'll just read the report itself. Keep in mind that if you look this up on MUFON, uh, again, August 4th, Ronkonkama, just, you know how to do it. There are pictures and videos. I believe a video, definitely. He goes, I was sitting in the van in a parking lot. Of my apartment complex looking for my cigarettes. Happens to see a brightly lit object from the corner of my eye. I live by an airport and didn't think much of it until I saw the colors of the lights. I thought they were unusual. I stepped out of the van to look at the object, then noticed it made a complete stop and shut off its lights like it didn't want to be seen. The object backed away from the airport in the same path it came in. Once it got a little distance from the airport, its lights came back on. I ran through my complex to be able to watch it leave the area. The object moved a few miles from the airport and stopped again and hovered, then descended straight below the tree line. I watched and waited for the possibility of it rising again, which it did. It raised and descended again. Security from my complex also witnessed the event. I was excited that I finally got to see such an incredible event because I've always heard of people saying they saw UFOs. I don't go on belief, believing it is the same as saying guessing. I saw something that was incredible. So again, there is video online of that. Check it out. I'll also post a link to the page. Next, footage has emerged of a strange object flying past a large plane as it takes off from an airport, again, even closer to my backyard. wish I had a backyard. I live in an apartment. The video was uploaded to YouTube and then shared on the Facebook page, like I said filmed by an anonymous individual in New York near John F. Kennedy International Airport. Right over here at JFK. As the plane ascends, you can see the sort of small, dark object moving in the same direction, but a much greater speed before disappearing off towards the left of the frame. Now, the fact that the video was recorded at an airport makes it difficult to rule out other aircraft, but that hasn't stopped this video from going viral with about 200,000 views so far last I checked on YouTube. Of course, a lot of skepticism. The uploader of the video says that he knows the guy who took the video, worked with him, is adamant that it's real, uh, so he shared it online. You guys can check that out. Now we're just about out of time here. If I might wind things down tonight with the final thought. Now on this program, now on this program, I try to shy away from giving my own personal opinion on matters, partially because, well, this is radio. And on this show in particular, I want everyone to feel comfortable both in listening to it with whatever beliefs you, the listener, bring with you and for the guests coming on the show who may have very opposing views on certain matters whether those are relevant to the show or not. Long-time listeners have heard me try to drive home the notion that it's okay to admit that you don't know something. To allow yourself to go past the comfortable labels that we've become accustomed to in prior years. When you have someone like Edgar Mitchell making declarative statements about something very specific that could either reinforce a belief that you already have or be easy to dismiss if you're solidly against that, try for a moment to let go of preconceived notions when faced with a story like that. And pay attention to every word. Sometimes the truth is not as cut and dry as it seems. And the context may be a hint towards another story entirely. Which brings me to my point. Believe me, I have one. These labels that we put on things confine us in boxes. Aliens and ghosts and psychic phenomenon just as accepted physical law and theoretical history. When we hear stories that employ these presuppositions, we might be missing some new and exciting information because of the assumptions of the storyteller surrounding it. Perhaps what one person uses as proof of one thing could be something completely different. Try not to dismiss something just because you don't like the storyteller's conclusions. Take the information that they build upon, and then try to come up with your own. And that's about going to do it for this episode of The Invisible World. Thanks to Trash 80 for the intro-outro music. Thanks, as always, to the Paranormal A Radio Network for also carrying the program. And also... My new project, Spirits and Spirits, with the lovely Jack Dukens. Listen through the Paranormal A radio network as well, or through our own page, spiritsandspirits.net. Now, before I sign off, I want to make a dedication here to Gamera. I've spoken about her before on the show. She's my pet turtle. She used to dance exclusively to ukulele music and run towards you for pets and chin rubs and dart across the field in Astoria Park. She uh, passed away after 13 years of being the best roommate and dance partner and buddy that an old nerd could ask for. So, listeners, wherever you are, if you have a pet, if you have a pet yourself, please give them extra hugs, pets, and snuggles tonight in Gamera's honor. Thank you to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Todaro reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward.